Hello and welcome. You are listening to Rescripting the Narrative, a podcast about sharing our truths, amplifying marginalized voices, and advocating for mental health. The hosts of the show are uninvited settlers who are recording from the land of the Three Fires Confederacy, the Anishinaabe peoples, who are made up of the Ojibwe, Ottawa, and Potawatomi tribal nations. In each episode, we will be discussing things that call for a content warning. Self-harm, suicide, murder, sexual assault, domestic violence, child abuse, racism, adoption trauma, and addiction will be topics of conversation here. As survivors, parents, and comrades, we will explore themes of acknowledgement, awareness, hope, healing, and recovery. Hi everyone, my name is Sol, and I am one of the co-creators and co-hosts of Rescripting the Narrative. I am a trans, non-anti-binary person who uses they-them pronouns. As an infant, I was bought by a United Statesian couple and brought here from what is known as Colombia. I have no memory of ever being told I was adopted. It was just something that I always knew. Thank you for joining us, and I'm Lena. I'm the co-host and also um, co-creator of this podcast. Um, I go by she, her pronouns. And much like Soul, I was bought by a couple and brought to what is known as the U.S. And uh, I'm, I come from Colombia also. Um, a couple of the identities that I identified by are parent, advocate, and survivor. These conversations are candid and unscripted, and we are two people communicating. Hey, Lena. Hey, Soul. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm really excited to be recording today and working on episode two. I'm really glad to be back also. Awesome. Um, Let's just hop right into it. Um, The first thing I want to say is that we are not a monolith. Adoption, foster care are not monolithic, and we're just two folks sharing our different and similar in some ways lived experience um, of displacement by the child welfare industrial complex. So just a friendly reminder of that. Um, so a couple weeks ago, not even, I texted you, Lena, and I was like, hey, I'm in the garden right now, and I have, I'm having a really great idea for episode two, um, which, you know, like, that was pretty much a month after we recorded episode one, which is really exciting. So, yeah, we've just been resting and living. I want to say I appreciate everyone that's tuned in and listened to episode one. And we've gotten amazing feedback. And it's been really 
awesome to hear what's resonated with people, um, different thoughts people have had. Um, so I really, we both really appreciate the support, the feedback and the love. Yes. Seeing the numbers like raise every day or so of listeners is just the greatest feeling that there are people out there who like are listening to us, <laughs> which is such a battle as, as the people that we identify as which kind of brings us into what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) Relinquishment and adoption trauma are the only traumas where the survivors are told to be grateful. And some more than others are gaslit from the beginning of their lives or when their displacement occurs, which is not always in the beginning of life as we know something that's important to say with that is just we want to inform society and the people that the systems in society are constantly silencing us and they they treat us horribly and we're pathologized it's a constant struggle and there's so much pushback in terms of our, our lived experience and being told we should be grateful um, for being separated from our mother and our family and then being, um, quote, adopted um, into a, a like really it's a stranger, stranger. We don't know these people. We're not related to them. And then we're supposed to, you know, carry on with that as our family and call those people our parents. Um, And then to add also is we're told that we're lucky. I don't know of any other traumas. If you just think of traumas in general, if you think of like incest, you think about rape, you think about um, sexual assault, you think about, you know, violent crimes, hate crimes. I don't know that those people are told that they're lucky or that they should be grateful for the violence that was inflicted upon them. I know that they're silenced like us, but they're not, they're not told to be grateful. So having to have that extra layer of gratefulness and gaslighting, and then being told you're lucky is completely a really detrimental and harmful and toxic way to start one's life. Because there is no validation for our trauma or for the relinquishment or for the adoption. It's not validated as trauma. It's just like, okay, you were saved, you know, you were rescued, you should be grateful. You're given a better life. Aren't you lucky? So that just sets, you know, speaking from my experience, it just set me up for such a, just, a, it's, a, it's a complete, um, it's a mind fuck. It's a real mind fuck. Cause it's like, you just don't know, you, you know, like I didn't know, like as a child that this was trauma, like I know intuitively, like deep down, I felt, you know, I felt like things were I didn't have the vocabulary as a child or, you know, even as a young, like as a teenager to explain like what was going on. Cause it was just like this dichotomy of like feeling like something's completely off here, you know, and I'm like, just want my mom and I want my family, but then also being put with the whole, um, it's almost like you're to be indebted to someone for rescuing you. And then I'm supposed to feel grateful and lucky and then constantly told I have a better life. I mean, that's just for one psyche. That's not, that's not healthy. It's just, it's just so confusing and just such a shame that 
that's how, um, you know, so many of us have had to live with, and then we're the ones that eventually, um, you know, go through adoption recovery and start to pull back the layers and really look at things and connect with other adoptees and read and get into therapy and do, you know, different kinds of, all different kinds of healing work, um, you know, and then just kind of realize the truth. And that's just, I mean, that's a lifelong thing, but it's just, I can imagine if trauma had been validated in the beginning, what a difference that would have made in my life. I think different decisions would have been made. I don't think more traumas maybe would have compounded. Maybe they would have, you know, because it's like we start our life in a trauma trajectory, I like to call it. So it's like, once you have one trauma, you know, it's like you're more susceptible to other traumas and it kind of increases our, we're able to deal, we deal with a lot of toxicity and almost like normalizes it. So it's like, we have a greater, we, we don't have the boundaries or we don't have the, I'm trying to figure out the words that I want to say. We, it just creates, it, it normalizes trauma. And the more trauma that happens, it normalizes, it normalizes, it normalizes. And we don't, and, and that's not okay. It's just like, it just became normal for us. So it's like, I can't think of the word for it, but yeah, it, it just becomes normal for us. And so once you have one trauma and then you have another trauma and then this relationship was toxic and that becomes normal. So then all relationships are kind of that way. So it's a, it's a lot, a lot of work. It's a lot, a lot of work to, um, to finally realize the truth, sit in the truth. And then once you share the truth, you know, so much backlash, so much abuse, so much bullying, tone policing, just meanness, just, just a lot. And that's a lot to deal with someone that is coming out of trauma and trying to recover. We need support. We need to believe, be believed and we need to be heard. We don't need to be tone policed or bullied or gaslit or told that we're angry, that we're ungrateful, that there's something wrong with us because the people will say pathologize us if we're not you know, this grateful adoptee and they'll come up with many words. One of them is C, which I don't like. I like to say wild instead of the C word. I don't mean the four letter C word. I mean the five letter C word because that just the connotation there is like, there's nothing wrong with us. We have lived with so much. So the ways that we have found to cope and to respond and trying to regulate our nervous system, there's nothing wrong with them. We are just trying to survive Yes. Thank you for naming that. I mean, adoption complicates everything in our lives in so many ways that are not really, I don't even think they're like describable in some ways. I mean, adoptees are going to get it, but it's just adoption. It just, it complicates and makes everything so much more complex than if we hadn't had that relinquishment and adoption trauma. Yeah. So a couple of things, like I just, I totally want to name that there are two, they are two separate traumas. Mm -hmm. Yes. The relinquishment trauma and there is the adoption trauma or foster care trauma or what have you. And I also, oh, you said so many, so many things that, you know, we've talked about and I just agree with, um, and one of the things that I really was starting to think about as you we were speaking was just the narrative that we were told by our caregivers mm -hmm. and how that impacts our sense of self. 
and and you know that i mean that's like a that's like a tree trunk right like with a bunch of roots going out mm-hmm. that create who we are and how we the relationship with ourselves you know like I gotta laugh and I always say I I, you know I'm not trying to be corny but like I'm on this self-love life (laughs) like this is part of my everyday practice Mm -hmm. and you know it's totally from my caregivers telling me you know my mother was too poor and she could barely write and she was a young you know she was a teenager and she loved you so much she gave you away like sit with that how would that make you feel cuz it, it it's it it created someone who ultimately just wants to be loved and accepted mm-hmm. um but someone who has to grow up to unlearn that narrative mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i mean that's only a little bit of the narrative of of my life that i was told and and with this story while you were speaking i was thinking about a conversation that i was having with my partner mm-hmm. and it was so interesting to hear his perspective and coming back to the gaslight, the gaslighting mm-hmm. of adoption. Um, he called it human. It's like, a, it's, I don't know. This is kind of like, he put it in this perspective of my lived experience is kind of humiliating and totally what's the word insulting Mm -hmm. that people would expect me to be their puppet Mm -hmm. does that make sense it makes a lot of sense and that's really powerful i like i like how that was explained and i just want to name he's not an adoptee your partner is my partner is, is non-adopted person i'm the second adopted person that he's known of like that was you know someone in his life who was adopted but the first person like they didn't have a very close relationship certainly nothing compared to like living with and being in an intimate partnership with <laughs> so can i say one more thing please do that i thought of okay so there was one more thing that I thought of um, while you were speaking, which was I would love to invite our listeners, especially if you have been impacted by adoption, to unlearn the phrase, the fog, mm-hmm. and the idea of the fog, because plainly it's divisive. Mm-hmm. and it's judgmental mm-hmm. <laughs> and i and i'm and i've used it like i when i learned of the fog i was like oh, you know like i'm out of the fog <laughs> but like 
Nah. Mm -mm. And I, and I think that's where, where I really love to learn this idea of adoption recovery. It's ongoing. Mm -hmm. The experiences is ongoing and um, it's not black and white. Like life is way too fluid, y'all. Come on. You're <laughs> mm -hmm. with the program. <laughs> yeah, I mean. So I hope yeah. that that gives you some food for thought. And I would love to hear you speak about that too, Lena, because we've talked about this. Yeah, we definitely have. And I was, I was thinking as you were speaking in terms of the narrative that you were told about your mother, and I was told the same narrative that she loved you enough that she gave you away. And that sets up a completely toxic and damaging message, message for us about love. You know, so it's like, it's no wonder a lot of us enter into domestic, violent, unhealthy, toxic, toxic relationships. <laughs> And I'm a survivor of that. So it's like, I, I've lived that. So I can, you know, like I see yeah. that. Like, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a message. I mean, like you said, let's sit with that message. That's a, that's just a really harmful, toxic message that nobody should be saying to anybody that, I mean, it just shouldn't be said it's inhumane. It's criminal. And it's just setting us up for just lifelong. It's, it's just trauma. It's more trauma. It's more victimization. So like, yeah, I mean, that message, it's just, it should not be a message said, please do not tell adoptees, adopted people, displaced people, forcibly separated, forcibly separated from their families. Do please do not tell them that their mother or their family loved them so much that they gave them up. It's just, it's harmful. And it just shouldn't be, it, it should be one of those things that people do not say. Um, and so I think Sol and I, we would have conversations all the time, which kind of led us to wanting to do a podcast. We have so many great conversations. We're like, <laughs> we need to, we need to record these. So in, in part of this and part of our goal for the podcast is rescripting the narrative. It's rescripting, you know, and that has to do with the messages we were told. It has to do with, um, Sol brought up out of the fog, in the fog, that that terminology and i agree it's it's not an inclusive terminology um it's divisive it's also just it's othering and it's making someone more superior and someone inferior whereas like if i'm out of the fog and this person's not i mean that's it's very judgmental also so we have to think about when we're in this recovery work of adoption recovery rescripting that narrative creating inclusivity and creating a language that validates us, that really speaks to our experience because the language of um, adoption propaganda and the colonizers is not, it's harmful language. You know, half that language, it should not be spoken. Like we should not be told we're lucky for being adopted. We should not be told to be grateful. I'm not gonna tell any trauma survivor to be grateful for their trauma not going to happen. And we've, uh, many people have experienced traumas and we're not the only people as adoptees to experience trauma. So we have to think like, would that be something we would want said to us? Would people want to hear like, you're lucky you were raped. You're lucky you were robbed. You're lucky. I mean, the list goes on and on. So we are no different. We're trauma survivors. So we deserve 
we deserve the empathy, the compassion, and the understanding. We, we deserve that. So when we're empowering ourselves and thinking about this narrative, let's be inclusive, let's be validating, and let's be compassionate and empathetic and understanding in the language that we use. You know what I thought of when you were just speaking? What do you think of? I was, I was thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking about um, how people will say, well, it's kind of like the, the phrase, one door closes, another one opens. Yeah. But it's like, oh, like you got robbed. Like, I guess, you know, you just needed like a new phone. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. oh, you were relinquished. I, I guess you just needed a new mom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Spiritual bypassing. Completely. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. It's just another level of trauma. Yeah. And, you know, in my lived experience, like I tried to make so much sense of my trauma. Mm -hmm. Like I, and I fell into the religious, um, like I'll just say it, I was in a religious cult at one point. Mm -hmm. And like, and I, I'll just say it too, like I'm anti religion. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's violent. It is. And so, you know, to say, and I, so just to say, like, I went through this period in my life where I'm like, oh, God, this is like so much, I'm in so much pain and I'm suffering. Mm -hmm. And like, I guess God wanted me to suffer. <laughs> like, I guess God had a plan for me and it's just like that actually doesn't make anything easier like it's kind of the salve that you can put on your wounds but it doesn't actually heal your wounds right um and and you know I I'm sorry I I admit some people might need that yeah and, and, you know, that did get me to where I'm at now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I would tell my younger self, don't go searching for answers. Be with yourself. Mm -hmm. And the wisdom really is within yourself. And surround yourself with people who are healthy and caring and compassionate. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you for naming that the, that the wisdom is within ourself because that's I mean that's so key I mean I I didn't this is like a lesson that I've learned it took me so long to get to that lesson right I've looked for every other way to like validate myself to you know to find love to do these things but really if I had just stopped running from myself and just sat with myself which is really, really hard to do. It's so hard to do. Um, then, you know, I, I could have started this sooner. Because we're, I mean, I know I'm not the only person that has sought other things instead of sitting with oneself, whether it's, you know, relationships or whether it's um, substances or whether it's sex or gambling or shopping or ways to detract it's so many things so if we just sit with ourselves 
it's hard. It's really hard, but really all we need is it's within us. So thank you for naming that. Yeah. I'm over here like on the verge of tears because that is just, you know, it's, that's been my, <laughs> my life, yeah. you know, and it's, it's been challenging as hell. It's really challenging. So again, like coming back to that recovery, you know, like recovery is, is a practice of choosing yourself every day. And I am challenged by that. It's really hard. It's really hard. And I think especially the adaptive piece, like the adapted, the displaced piece, I felt a lot that I have to prove my worth, you know? So it's like, I'm always, I was taught like, okay, I'm here. I have to fulfill this role of being grateful and being this good, you know, this good child. Cause I'm so lucky. And that was when I was young. So I kind of was programmed to people please. And to, you know, do other things, put people ahead of me, I guess you could say. So I wasn't taught to like sit with myself or to choose myself, you know, know that and be empowered to know I have everything that I need within myself. So it's been, like you said, it's, it's been really, really hard. It's been, you know, to, to find, to finally come to this realization that it's all here within myself and to sit with myself. Um, it's, it's a, it's a daily practice it's lifelong. It's not like, okay, I'm, you know, I've gone to 10 therapy sessions and I've gone to this many meetings and I've meditated this many times and I've done this much. No, it, it doesn't work like that. I mean, someone can correct me if they, if it has worked like that, but I mean, I, I don't try. <laughs> trauma doesn't work like that. Yeah. No, I've tried. Yeah. And a lot of it is resting, you know, coming back to that rest piece. Mm-hmm. Like I just gotta chill. Yeah. I don't always need to be doing something. Yeah. Um which reminds me, um we have the part of our segment where we share a piece of writing. Mm-hmm. Okay. This was a tweet that was reposted. The person who said it's at is Melatonin Lau L A U. Okay. Uh they wrote Western cultures believe we must be alive for a purpose, to work, to make money. Some indigenous cultures believe we're alive just as nature is alive, to be here, to be beautiful and strange. We don't need to achieve anything to be valid in our humanness. Love that. I love that too. That felt like a salve. It really does. <laughs> on my, on my, like my whole body being like, <sighs> oh yes, mm-hmm. I am part of creation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> I don't belong to anything else really, but that at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. And, and we're not, society likes to tell us that our worth is based on, you know, how much how much work we do, what we achieve, how much money is in our bank account. And, and that's not really, that's not, that's not real. I mean, I don't subscribe to capitalism being, you know, my self-worth. 
it's just not like we're much greater than what's in our bank account. Um, our worth is not defined by what job do we have? How much of this have we done? What car do we drive? All those kind of things. It's just not. So I really like that quote. I have lots of things that I want to share, but I think I want to go to um, Gabor Mate because um, he does a lot, you know, in, in terms of trauma. And we were talking about trauma in different ways that can, um, how trauma can be, how can it can impact our life experience. And I like with his work, um, one of the ways he deals with and approaches people that he's dealing with who are, you know, struggling with addiction, living with addiction, he doesn't look at and pathologize the addiction. He looks at to say like, where's this pain coming from? So I find that to be really validating because it's like, like us as adoptees, if we just pathologize us all the time, we're not going to really be able to recover and heal because you need to get to the root of the trauma. Everything has a reason. Cutting is self-love in the sense of organizing or trying to um, survive. It gives me a pain I can handle and gets rid of the pain I can't handle. Damn. I was surprised you you mentioned him. I was kind of surprised too. I was like, thinking, I don't know, like addiction's been on my mind. I don't know. And try, like, he's just so big on addiction and trauma. So I was just like, he's really kind of it that I know of at this point. That's like, he has a name that people recognize and um, totally. his work is awesome. Like it's phenomenal work. Um, yeah. It's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple what he says. It's like his mantra is in working with, with people is just the first question is not why the addiction, but why the pain? And that's also re-scripting the narrative and shifting, you know, the way society is looking at something as like addiction, which is rooted in trauma. So we really need to see, see the person and see the pain and not just look at like the side effects of that, because it's like, however they're coping, it's totally like, it's totally valid. There's nothing wrong with them. They're trying to regulate their nervous system. They're trying to cope. They're trying to soothe. Um, so, I mean, I think we need to really look at people and why the pain and not, you know, pathologize them, why the addiction, why the eating disorder, why the self-harm, you know, and, and he even said, like, I listened to him in a talk and he said that, I wish I had the notes in front of me, but he talked about how self-harm is really he's just rescripting the narrative here too, is he's saying it's really an act of love. Like you're trying to find, you're trying to find a way to cope and a way to soothe and a way to like lessen the pain. So it's like self-harm is really something that's stigmatized and not understood. And it's just kind of like a taboo topic, but he just turned it around to say like, this person is really just trying to soothe themselves. I'd like to sit with that for a minute. I would love to ask you if you could give like a piece of a writing, a page from a book, um, a video, a short lecture or something, something that's like short and to the point mm -hmm. for someone who is struggling mm -hmm. with addiction, 
or with their pain, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes, sometimes someone who is suffering and is in pain doesn't really like they don't. And again, speaking from my experience, because I am, I am someone who is an addict and has self-harmed and and I oh I just I love that you I loved what you said about how like it's taboo and stigmatized because like I have a bunch of tattoos and it's like not you know like there's pain there's a needle going through my body or in my body so um yeah that that meant so much to me to hear um so I just I'm curious if if there's something that you can recommend I would say, I mean, because I can think of a million things, but they're lengthy. I would say the best thing, if you can do it, is find connection, whether it be a group, whether it's like an AA kind of thing, whether it's, because I think that's the thing in terms of trauma and different addiction. It's like, we need connection. We need to feel connected. So I would say, go to a meeting, call your sponsor, find a sponsor, um, find something online. There's a lot of things online Um, in terms of addiction. There's some self-harm groups also, you know, that um, I think connection, we just need connection. We need to feel connected because we get so isolated in ourselves and we're, we're coping and we're using other ways to just kind of like regulate ourselves. So if we can just get that connection, because I think part of um, Al-Anon is about, and part of AA probably too, is about the connection and how community is helping each other. You know, you're, it's, it's the love of your community. So we, none of us can do this alone. Like none of us can do this work alone. We need, we need connection and we need people. We need support. I mean, I know from my experience, that's really what has been like life-saving for me in my work is con- connection, the validation, someone to listen, someone to hear me, someone to, you know, say, I believe you, someone to like relate to it. I mean, that's why there's like support groups. Like I, whether it's a suicide loss support group, any of those, just connection, find connection, whatever kind of connection you need. That's so beautiful. Thank you. And I, I don't want that to, like, it, it, it sounds simple, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But, I, and, I, and so I just want to acknowledge that that's not always simple. It's not simple at all. But it, it but is, I agree. Like, I love that you said that. Like, I didn't, I wouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm so glad that you did because shit. Connection is what keeps me alive. Thank you. Thank you. I, it, I know it's hard. Like, I know it's like, and so I kind of thought of that too. Cause I'm like, I could think of videos here. Like I love Paul Sunderland's video about you know, adoption, relinquishment and addiction, but that's like a 65 minute, 59 minute video. And that people might not be able to, or be interested to sit, you know, it's hard to like watch videos sometimes. I get that. So I was thinking of things and I know it's so hard to go to a support group, but I'm like, I've been to so many support groups myself. I've been to Al-Anon, I've been to suicide survivor support groups. I've been to Oh man, grief support. I mean, I, I, I go to them, right. I know showing up is the hardest piece. Like I'm not it takes so much courage and so much bravery to go there. And just like, even if you just sit in the room and you just don't say anything, that is hard to do. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Cause I don't want to like write off like, Oh, it's so easy. Just, you know, go get connected and go to a group. I it's hard, but I think it's, it's worth it. It's, it's definitely worth it. If you can do that. 
Totally. And so I just want to add two things to that. The first is like our email is in the notes of the show. Email us. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm inviting you that I can be someone that you can connect with. Um, and two is in regards to addiction, like I am in the process of actually starting my own group online. So um, I guess stay tuned for that. I'll, I, I am working on that and it's been on, it's, so it's just like ironic that it's coming up in this conversation because like I've been thinking about it so much and it's been on my mind for months and months and it's, you know, it's evolving into something um, because I already co-facilitate, you know, an adoptee group um, here locally. So yeah, thank you, Lena. You're welcome. And I, I and I've been sitting at a a group also, uh, the the survivors of suicide and then people living with suicidal ideations. That's also on the horizon too. Um, but I wanted to get back to what would you say for someone who's struggling out there? What what recommendation or what thing do you think that would be helpful? Listening to this episode, honestly, like what you said, I want to, I, I, there's someone in my life um, that I care about that I, I want to, you know, give, give your words to. I'm so glad to hear um, that. Because, oh my gosh, it was just so powerful. Why the pain? You know, and, and I'm coming up in a couple of days on my three-year anniversary of sobriety. Um, and so I'm, I'm just having a really, it's, I've, been, I've just been tender and heavy-hearted and lots going on in my head and in my body. And, um, and you know, I, I have to remind myself, like, why did I do the things that I did I was in so much pain you know and and it doesn't take you I mean everybody's journey is different but for me I'm as I'm approaching this three-year mark I was, I'm just like what have I learned you know what has happened these past three years of me being clean and choosing myself mm -hmm. and um Like, wow, I'm in a lot of pain, <laughs> you know, like my body, there's so much, I am a body of grief. That's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> like we've said, it's, it's not just for me to hold. And I have been held these past three years, you know, by people, by you and you know, some of the people have, are not in my life anymore. Um, the people that were in my life three years ago and, and new people are, and, um, the people that are currently in my life are just, I feel like they're the people I've been waiting for my whole life. I can relate. <laughs> like, oh, you don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> Mm 
you you like are interested in in what I have to say and you respect me. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> Thank you, Lena. You're welcome. I'm holding you and I'm so excited for your three years. I mean, I it's it's not my lived experience, so I can't speak to it. I'm not gonna try to but I admire it so much. Like I admire you so much. And I know every day it's, it's hard. Like I can only imagine, I can imagine how hard it is. So I'm, I admire that. And I'm glad that we've connected and I appreciate you, you know, being there for me. You kind of, you're making me, making me cry too, just cause it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just, none of us can do this alone. Like it's, we need, we need community. We need each other every, you know, I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah. And thank you for sharing that. Cause I know there are other people out there, you know, struggling with addictions, struggling, you know, maybe exploring sobriety, you know, and I hope they're going to, you know, send, send an email, you know, if they need to reach out or if they have an experience they want to share, you know, and they're, and they're definitely not alone. I mean, there's so many adoptees suffering with addiction, so many. And their mental health. And mental health, of course. As we, as we spoke about in episode one, like, this is a crisis and um, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with anybody that's listening and, you know, whatever they're doing to cope is pretty much normal. Like, I'm going to normalize what, whatever it is to cope, or I'm not going to sit here and I can't judge anybody. You know, I've done many things in my life I'm not proud of, you know, and I feel like as I get older and as I choose myself more, I used to be a really judgmental person, really, really judgmental person. And as I choose myself more and, you know, gain more empathy and compassion, I become less judgmental. And I'm, I'm not judging anybody out there. Everyone is doing what they need to cope and survive at this point. So whatever, whatever that is, let's normalize it, you know, and hope that you're going to, you're going to contact us, send us a message, or maybe you're going to find a group, you know, for some community so you can get some support. Yeah. And if you just need help finding resources, I love finding resources. It's like one of my favorite things. I'm very, I just, I do it for myself. Um, but, and, and they're out there, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and there are people out there, like there are really amazing people who can support you mm -hmm. and have the capacity to, and the, and the wisdom to, and the space to. So um, if you just need help finding people, I would love to help you with that. I just, I would like to acknowledge how support groups and even, you know, supportive people, um, you know, everybody's human. And also I've experienced a lot of harm in groups <laughs> yeah. um, with similar lived experiences. Mm -hmm. And so um, that is part of my reason for wanting to facilitate my own space um, just to safety is just number one. Mm -hmm. And um, just want to name that in case you can relate to my experience of like trying a plethora of groups and being harmed 
in more than one way um, in them, especially, you know, like in my brown body, in my queer body, a lot of spaces are just white and violent. Mm -hmm. That's not cool with me. <laughs> Thank you for naming so. that because I've had the same, you know, similar experience, especially like, you know, the adopted or the displaced the displaced person too like that's also been harmed in groups where people just have a different conception of what reality is so that's been harmful but yeah the white spaces tend to be really harmful and I'm of the mindset if we don't have if we don't have the spaces we need to create our own spaces we can create our own spaces and be safe in our own spaces we know what we need um so I think we can empower ourselves if there's something that you are considering doing and you want to create a space, go ahead and do it. We need, our, our community needs support. We need, we need a lot. Like there's not enough support for mental health, for addiction, just in general, being a displaced person. So we need safe spaces. We need validating spaces. We need spaces where we're heard and we're believed because there's nothing worse than going to a space and not being believed when you've shown up to a group and you're super vulnerable to go there and then you're harmed in the group or it's, it's violent, you're not going to go back to that group and then maybe you're not going to go to another group because of that. Yep. <laughs> Would you like to end with just coming back to, I don't, I just thought of, you know, how society sees us. And mm -hmm. I, I think, would you like to just end on that? that just like great. reminding people, people don't listen to us. And like, we're in this crisis because like people have been saying what we're saying for 30 years at least because mm -hmm. adoption started happening in the 50s and 60s. So those babies, you know, on a mass scale, I think, I mean, of course, adoption has been the thing for like ever, but like in Western society through this, through the modern day system of adoption, like none of this is new. Mm -mm. No, it's not. We're, we're yeah. regurgitating things that people before us have said. I want to add a couple of points to this because this happened yesterday. Um, there's a, there's a dean and an MSW by the name of Alan Detloff. He's in Houston. Um, and he, he posted, you know, about the adoption of, I can't remember, Pete, and I don't remember his husband's name, Chastain. Listen to adoptee voices. And, and it's like, everybody will listen to him more likely. They're more likely to listen to Alan, who's a non-adoptee, he's not a displaced person, than to Solar Eye. People will listen to non-adopted people, non-displaced people talking about adoption more than they'll listen to us. So I, I appreciate so much people that use their platforms to do this and amplify our voices. I completely do. And I'm a huge fan of Alan's. I am. Um, but it's just interesting that with him, it's like people are like, oh, you know, really, they're going to be more likely to listen than if a displaced person says the same thing. So to your point, Soul, people don't listen. They haven't been listening to us for a long time. And none of this stuff is that we're saying is like, it's brand new. It's not new at all. No, the violence has been happening for a very long time. It has. 
We should talk about intergenerational trauma next episode. It sounds good. I'd like to do that. Oh, I don't know. That might be too close to home. It might be. It might be. <laughs> but it's definitely, it's definitely real. And it's one of those things that people don't talk about. I mean, some of us are talking about it, but it's not really realized or even thought about in greater society. And that needs to be part of rescripting that narrative because then it would also highlight you know, why adoption should not be a thing because you're harming more than you and I and our moms and our families. You're then harming our children, their children, our grandchildren. You know, it goes down and down and down. The losses, the grief, the trauma. So then if people really looked at that, that might be an aha moment. Like, hmm, adoption, we shouldn't be doing this. It's too harmful. It's too violent. And that would be the goal stole the words out of my mouth abolish <laughs> abolition now yes to our listeners people that are listening as we talked about resting it's also important we're having these really deep difficult hard triggering conversations you know it, it's a hard conversation this is a hard listen to you know so I want to encourage everybody, and this is something that we both, Sol and I, are going to do, and we do, is I want to make sure people are taking care of themselves, whatever that may mean for you. And we'd like to incorporate that also into this podcast. So then when you're, you know, you can kind of, you listen to a heavy topic, and then we kind of ground ourselves, you know, and, and end with a nice meditation. The intention of this practice of meditation is to invite stillness and bring awareness to our bodies. We will start with a body scan and visualize a tree to connect with. Begin with allowing your eyes to close gently. If you fall asleep, start to think or focus on other things or feel nothing at all. These are your experiences in the moment. Just be aware of them. If your mind is wandering a lot, note the thoughts and bring your mind gently back to your body scan. Let go of any expectations of what this will do for you. Being with yourself in each moment can be challenging, but fighting off unpleasant thoughts, feelings, or body sensations will only distract you. Accept things as they are. We are here with you you are safe. If it is comfortable, place one hand over your heart and one hand over your belly. Now take a few moments to get in touch with the movement of your breath and sensations in your body, especially to the sensations of touch or pressure where your body makes contact with the floor or the chair, couch or bed. On each exhale, Allow yourself to let go and sink a little deeper. Remember, the intention, as best you can, is to bring awareness to any sensations you detect as you focus your attention on each part of your body. As you breathe, notice how your chest and abdomen expand to allow the air to enter your lungs.
What sensations are you aware of? And as you exhale, bring awareness to the stillness and notice the sense of relaxing more deeply. Now, bring your attention to the top of your head, noticing any sensations in your scalp. Down the back of your head, to the sides, through your face. Notice your jaw, if you're holding any tension in your jaw. Let your face be soft. Relax the muscles around your eyes and your mouth. Breathing in, breathing out. Now notice your neck and your throat. Let them be soft. Notice your shoulders, your arms. Feel any sensations as you allow your tension to move from your shoulders down your upper arms to the elbow your forearms, wrists, hands, and fingers. Noticing any tightness, any temperature sensations, Noticing what the fabric of your clothing feels like against your skin. Continuing to breathe in and to breathe out. Now bring your attention to your chest and your belly, feeling the movement in your chest as you breathe. Bringing attention to your belly, noticing if your belly is tense or tight and allowing it to soften. Noticing the upper back and the lower back. If you're holding any tension there, also letting that release.
Now continue traveling down to your legs, your thighs, your knees, your calves and shins, your ankles, and now your feet. Noticing the sensations of your feet, the feeling of energy perhaps present in the feet. Noticing the sensations of your feet, the feeling of energy that may be present in your feet. And as you continue breathing in and breathing out, now noticing the whole body from the top of your head all the way down to your toes. Stay with this sense of your whole body for a few more breaths. Now begin to imagine a tree. Maybe you are out walking in nature and you discover this tree. The tree you perceive may be like an actual tree or maybe is a very symbolic tree, an imaginary tree. Accept the tree, begin to explore it. Maybe notice it from a distance, observing its size and shape. Become aware of the environment in which the tree is located, on a hill, in a forest, alone, next to water. Think about how this tree is connected to the earth, to water to air and to fire. Imagine you can examine the earth in which your tree is planted. Is it rich and nourishing? Does the tree receive all the water it needs? Is the air clean and pure? Does the tree have access to all the sunshine it needs. Explore the tree, the trunk and the branches, the leaves and roots. Now allow yourself to explore the symbolism of this tree. 
let self explore with all its inner senses and absorb the impressions you receive. Now, allow the image of the tree to fade away and continue to relax into your body. Begin to wiggle your fingers and your toes. Gently rub your hands and toes on your surface. Gently tap your legs and your arms. And slowly open your eyes. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. How are you feeling? I feel so relaxed. I'm like, oh, I could just feel like the tension floating away. And lots of lots of tension. Well, thank you so much for for being here with me, Lena. And thank you all who are listening for listening. Thank you for being your soul and thank you to everyone that's listening and we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to email us. Our email is rescriptingthenarrative at gmail.com. That is R-E-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-N-G-T-H-E-N-A r r a t i v e at gmail.com take care rest when you feel like it and peace